and welcome to the Tea and Eggs podcast. I am your host, Dylan James, and I am here with Ben Jones, Joe Mansfield, and James Dodd. So today there is a great deal up for discussion. A certain Wayne Pivak will be on the hot seat today. First of all, let me take you back to February. Wales have been beaten have beaten Italy 42-0 in a more than convincing victory to kick off their 2020 Six Nations campaign. The future looks bright and everyone is convinced that Pivak has transferred his attacking game plan from the Scarlets to Wales. Fast forward to the end of 2020, it's not looking so bright. Never mind the global pandemic, Wales have equaled their worst record since 2016. I'm going to ask you straight and simple, boys, and we'll start with Ben. Pivak out. Yeah, I'm, I'm fully on the Pivak out train. I think he's walking a very, very, very thin tightrope. Um, it just, I don't, I don't know what's gone wrong. Like you said, after the Italy game, it all looked kind of bright. Like, um, like I mentioned in a few podcasts ago, to nil Italy is is very, very good. But just since then, it's just, it's just been dire performance after dire performance. I think um, the Ireland game has kind of just summed up his his reign in total. I think really, it was just, it was it was horrid to watch, and I'm sure you guys will agree. It just really wasn't. It wasn't there. It wasn't the attacking threat we supposedly. Uh, would have with Pivak just didn't really show at all. And Ireland could have kind of put so much more uh, pastors and in, instead of like penalties, perhaps that were given. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think Pivak's out. Nice savage start to the show there, getting straight into it. So James, how much time does Pivak have given the current situation? And, and that, that less than attractive performance against Ireland, did it exemplify his reign? Like Ben said? Look, I probably I understand um, Ben's opinion, but I think it's you don't have the same extent uh, in, fo- in rugby as you do in football. I think it has been very clear that in the last uh, you know six or seven games that there isn't much of an attack or um, defensive game plan. It is frustrating. The scrum has been struggling, but I would like to see him um, stay for a bit longer to you know really get used um, used to the team. You got to remember with the Scarlets, look, he didn't you know he wasn't straight off. You know, incredibly successful with them um, before they were winning the Pro 12 and making European semi-finals. So I would like to see him um, for a bit longer. It is a bit worrying when you look at the amount of you know top players that were on Gatlin's side winning Grand Slams, but also there are a lot of uh, there, are, there are a few injuries. There are a lot of youngsters coming to the squad. So you know, hopefully things will improve uh, next year or so. So I'm sure these two are going to lock horns again later on. But Joe, so if I told you back in March 2019, Grand Slam winners uh, with Warren Gatland, and by the end of 2020, Wales would be hoping for, at the very least, a win against Georgia, um, who last week stared down a 40-0 barrel against England. I can only imagine what your reaction would have been. So take me through this. What's your thoughts on it? It hasn't made for pretty viewing so far. Wayne Pivak's been extremely disappointing. His team's been dull and lacked creativity. And to be honest, the longer it goes on, the less time you give the next person who comes in charge to take over. Yeah, so I think um, so, so. I'm on the side of the fence more so with Ben, I think, but in a different way. I think he, he's got this opportunity in the Autumn Nations Cup to prove that he is the right man for the job. I don't think he should be gone straight away, but it's evident that there's something wrong, um, you know, in the back because Haywood's left, so... That isn't a good thing for Pivak himself and the rest of the squad. It doesn't do anyone any good when uh, a member of the team leaves. Joe? All the messages today from the uh, WIU press conference were that everything's building towards 2023. And I think 
that's Pivac trying to buy himself time and avoid picking up results right now. I totally agree, mate. So, Dodd, going back to your side of the fence, then, mate, um, how much time are you able to give Pivac? Give me a time frame. Yeah, I I keep him until the 2023 World Cup in France. I honestly would. Yeah. Even yeah. if even if results didn't improve, obviously not yeah. losing every single game. But say if we only picked up uh, the odd result against you know a Georgia, a side of that caliber, um, and then didn't make any uh, any resounding victories in the Six Nations, for example. Look, it's, it's hard to like if it's hard to know because there's so many you know different things that could go on. Look, you could have a, a poor result, but the, the performance for the most part could have been very good. You know, it could have been a, a, a poor performance, but a result that could. You know, it's so it's so hard to tell um, if bait just based on results, but I, I think you've got you want to try and keep some consistency. Obviously, Hayward's gone, which is um, you know doesn't look good. Um, and look, we don't we don't know what's going on uh, in you know with the players in the camp at the moment. If they didn't have any faith in Pivac, then I probably would wouldn't want to give him much more time because you want players playing rugby for people for for a person that they like. But if they have faith in him, Jonathan Davis said that you know they they got full uh, faith in Wayne Pivak at the moment. So if that is the case, uh, top you know a top line star does, then most of the players should. And I honestly think that um, yeah, give him give him time because I genuinely do believe that they we will see improvements. You'd like to think so. I'm gonna, so I'm going to take a slightly different angle here. I'm going to point this question in the direction of you, Joe. Um, so I was actually talking to my dad not long ago. We were having a chat about it. The first thing he said to me, um, obviously he wasn't happy with uh, the performances from Wales. The first thing he said to me was, does a couple of seasons in Snethley at the Scarlets make you a good international coach? Do you think um, there needs to be more ruthlessness with getting rid of him or just being stricter? I think there has got to be a little bit more ruthlessness. If you, if you lose six games on the bounce, you haven't got much of an argument. But in saying that, he can't really be blamed for Ryan Elias consistently throwing it not straight. If your hooker isn't giving you a platform to build your attack off, that isn't really your fault. So not everything can be blamed on Pivak. Some things do have to be blamed on the players. I, I agree with that. Um, but if he had a poor game against Scotland and then he's had another poor game against Ireland, is it his fault for choosing him? But who should be picked in place? Uh, well, Sam Parry. Yeah, he's not a, he hasn't had vast international experience either. He's another risk. So I think the awkward one with Ken Owens being injured though, we're just waiting for him to come back, I think. Because like like Joe says, it's awkward throwing a, an inexperienced player just into the mix straight away, especially when you know the Wales team aren't performing anyway. But that's the thing, can he can he do much worse than Ryan Elias has against Ireland and France? That's the thing. So and Scotland, sorry. I mean so like, just for the listeners now, we, we all of us on this podcast, we were all watching that Scotland game, okay? And we were watching it, we think, oh, you know, we'll give Elias the benefit of the doubt. Windy day, you know, down in South Wales, obviously it's difficult. However, you know, the game against Ireland, he continued to throw them wonky. So, you know, there has to be questions asked. So what's your opinion on it, Dodd? Like, should he be more ruthless in his decision-making and who would you have in there realistically? Yeah, it's hard because obviously you don't, you don't want the, inc the inconsistency of changing, you know, making 10, 11 changes every, 
every week. So I understand you want to, you know, keep some faith in the players. Um, so it's just about getting the balance. Right? It's it's clear um, that he's he's trying to keep a similar squad um, in the starting fifteen, but the things aren't quite working out. And for for the Georgia game as well, I think you've got you've got room to um, you know, to try some things out. Obviously, this is a side that's lost six games on on the bounce, so you know, there isn't a ridiculous amount of um, things you do want to change. But you know, there there are plenty of positions individually where I. There are there are players that come on like Lloyd Williams came on against Ireland like you know should he should he start you know he was rapid in you know his delivery and, and the accuracy so little things are like that now you you've got Wayne's got to be looking and hopefully you'll make some changes. Luckily, we got some really good backup backup options. Sorry, like you said, Dodd Lloyd Williams was exceptional. Only that one dodgy pass was it to to Wayne Wright. Yeah, um, he, not far from the try line. That was the only hiccup he had, wasn't it? Um. But the one question I will ask, right? So does then do you think then any of you now, this is an open question, do you think there needs to be a shift in the status quo? So the Lee Halfpenny we all know from years gone by has been consistently confident under the high ball, not being one of the tallest players on the pitch. He'll dive up there and he'd he'd bring the ball down perfectly. Um, and then we'd be on the counter-attack straight away. Um, with McNichol coming in now from the Scarlets, do you think that we should shift? Uh, Liam Williams back into 15, drop half penny for this game and then put McNichol on the wing. What are your thoughts on that? Liam Williams, for me, if he's fit, he has to be at 15, regardless of how many wing wingers we have injured or whatever. Liam Williams has to be at 15. I think, you know, we, we got if we start from the back with him, you know, he will give us um, some good momentum going forward. I think under the high ball, he's class. So for me, whether Johnny McNichol, Louis Rees-Samet, George Nuff, even if you put Lee Arp in, I just think you have to put Sanchez at 15. Yeah, I agree. I'd love to be proved wrong, but I think gone are the days of Lee Halfpenny being the number one fullback in Wales. I think Liam Williams has definitely overtaken that spot and you now need to rely on your fly half as your out-and-out kicker instead of relying on Lee Halfpenny to bail you out if your fly half isn't firing. Yeah, I'd say Pivot's kind of sticking with Gatlin's boys kind of thing, isn't it? About Lee Halfpenny being at uh, 15. He's, he's been a bit susceptible under the, the high ball in the last couple of games. We've all seen it. Obviously, I agree with Dodge. You have to start Liam Williams at 15 if he's fit. He just he is, an, he is another level on top of Lee Halfpenny. And obviously, Lee Halfpenny uh, still has the class. Like, class is permanent, form is temporary kind of thing. But you have to put Liam Williams at 15. And I think even if you bring, like, Go back to the ruthlessness comment you said, Dill. Uh, he's been ruthless in dropping George North, so why don't you bring him back in? Or even Owen Lane from from the Blues, or even Louis Jamet. I mean, there's all this hype around him. Why, why, what? Why can't you just start him on the wing? What's what are you going to lose? The thing that annoys me the most about Lee Halfpenny is that that a lot. I think I feel like a lot of um, the, the advantage he has to start in is he's like the backup kicker. But obviously, Dan Bega had a poor kicking game against France. But most of the time, he's just as accurate and he has just as a big of a boot. Obviously, Callum Sheedy, it'll be interesting to see how he, how he would uh, perform on the kicking seat in, in a Wales jersey. But the likes of Rhys Patchell as well, you know, the accuracy and the length he has. I don't think Wales need to rely on Lee Halfpenny's kicking boot anymore. I think you've got to back the game plan and back the game plan. And if you have only have one professional top kicker in that starting 15 then that's got to, that's got to happen 
Totally agree with you, Dodd, because the thing is, how, how else is Bigger going to have the confidence to consistently kick well in games for Wales if he's not being trusted with kicking? Like, can you imagine how demoralising that must be if you've missed a kick or two and then, you know, the tee gets chucked to someone else because you're not doing a good enough job? It, it might be the right thing to happen because I think the only reason why Halfpenny's still in that team like Ben mentioned with Gatlin's boys, he's been in that Wales squad for so long now. It's just too easy to put him at 15. I think for the last two or three years, I think Liam Williams has been better than um, Lee Halfpenny, in my opinion. And he should have been starting at 15 um, ahead of him a long time ago. Joe? Yeah, there's no rule to say that anybody on the pitch can't kick, but it's standard in world rugby that the fly-off kicks or fly-offs know how to kick. Obviously, the French sometimes like to use a scrum after kick and others have followed that tactic as well sometimes, but it's a fly-off's job to kick off the tee and you need to back them to do that. It's a shame Wales can't back their hooker to throw in straight though. <laughs> exactly. The, the one last point I will make is that when Lee Penny was brought in for kicking, he, he, he had the all-round game. Now that his all-round game has gone, he can't just rely on his kicking. So I would definitely... and. I can't emphasise this enough. Start Sanchez at 15. 100%. Well, hopefully, I think, I think we're all on that side of the fence for that one, so that's sorted. Um, hopefully, uh, Pibak thinks the same and we can get back on track with the form. Uh, so anyway, moving on then to the Pro 14. Uh, the Dragons didn't play due to the COVID, due to COVID-19 problems, sorry. Uh, however, the other three regions were in action. Uh, the Blues and Scarlets won against Benetton and Connaught, respectively. Um, Ospreys weren't so lucky as they fell to a 38-22 defeat against Munster. So, James, a big fan of Owen Lane. You were telling me about him in the week. Uh, he tore through the defensive line to score against Benetton for the Blues. How long before he's a, a regular in the Wales team? Yeah, well, exactly. The Lane train is back at the station. Um, he, didn't get, he didn't get a ridiculous amount of ball against Benetton, but like that, that finish uh, shown was just unbelievable. And He's been a bit unlucky with injuries of late, but I honest, like his game to try ratio is uh, pretty scary. And the finishes he has done in the past have been phenomenal. So obviously you probably would need um, a winger or potentially a centre to get injured uh, for him to be called up. Um, but I think with performances like that, there is no reason why he won't be um, in the Wales squad. He, he made his debut in the summer as well, scored against Ireland on his debut. So there's, there's no reason. And... Uh... On that note of him potentially being called up to Wales, the Blues aren't a stranger to a player being called up on a match day, are they, Dodd? No, the last uh, couple of weeks you've had the likes of uh, Lloyd Williams uh, and yeah, yesterday James Bowman being called up late. Um, has been a bit frustrating, obviously, from a region point of view. Um, you know, when you look at do the Welsh, you know, do the Welsh camp need them for that week because uh, they might not even play uh, the following weekend. But uh, yeah, nice. It is a bit, a bit disappointing, but James Bowman is a quality uh, youngster and he uh, deserves to be in the Wales squad. He's definitely good enough. Yeah, so Owen Lane, he looks like a, a, the real deal to me from what I've seen. Um, I haven't watched every game intently, but I've seen the highlight reels that you've shot over to me, Dodd, and he looks like that really modernised, heavy set, fast, powerful winger that, that Wales have in recent years look towards like Josh Adams is a, is a strong guy and obviously George North is a huge character and a huge bloke as well. So uh, do you think 
how long how long what's the time frame like before he gets in the Wales set yeah it's funny you should mention North because he is he does kind of remind remind me like a, a, a young giant George North I think you you know you've got Josh Adams playing well Louis Rizamit obviously you know you have not it's really hard to call you know is, is he going to be having many starts obviously you got North um, who hasn't been in the greatest of form and then is that debate about, you know, is Sancho going to be on the wing? Is he going to be full back? Are they going to swap them in the half inning? So they have got some good backs there. Um, I personally believe he's probably on, you know, if he's fully fit, I believe he, he starts the Wales. I genuinely do. Um, but it's just it's just on, you know, Wayne Pivak, his individual selection. But I'd imagine if he stays fit and he plays for the Blues, that whenever the Six Nations will happen next year, whenever Wales' next internationals games will be after the autumn, I'd imagine he would definitely be in the squad at least. So moving on to the Scarlets then, Johnny McNichol and Ryan Conbeer linked up in clinical fashion for the Scarlets against Connaught, so much so that McNichol has been called up for international duty for Wales. So Joe, how much of an impact can McNichol have on the Wales team if Pivak chooses to feature him against Georgia on the weekend? Well, I think for Wales, McNichol could feature on the wing or at full-back. He played at full-back against Zebra and he, he played very well, adding to their attacking options. He was a key player in three of their tries. And I think he'd be a great option as a backup to Sanjay at full-back, as potentially then he brings on an attacking option at full-back instead of the more defensively in Williams. So, yeah, I think he, he could add a bit to the Wales squad, even though some people think it's a waste. So, James, I've heard you mention um, this before. Uh, Munster continued a dazzling start to their Pro 14 campaign uh, with a quite convincing display against the Ospreys. Um, so, what the, the point I'm talking about is the gap um, between Welsh and Irish sides. So, do you think this gap can tighten at any point this season? Um, well, I think this season, no, if I'm being honest, because I think the Welsh... Um, teams have always in the league and in Europe underperformed uh, than Irish teams. And I think when you look at each squad, um, you know whether they're, they're full strength of the internationals or not, the Irish teams will continue to win games consistently. And well, well Welsh teams will be you know hit and miss like they always seem to be. Um, I think you know Munster, Leinster, Ulster are still unbeaten. I think uh, the Blues and the Scarlets have only one against an Irish team this season once each, and that was both against Connacht, which undoubtedly are the, the worst region. So this season, definitely not. And you've just got to look at the strength and depth that the Irish sides have, especially Munster, Leinster, and like I just mentioned, is, is just like too much. Um, so when the international stars are gone, their their side is just clearly better. So it's, it is hard, but unfortunately, you know, the only way to, to gain bigger... Uh, players and get a more strength and depth is for money and money isn't something that the Welsh regions um, have in abundance. So now we couldn't go without mentioning the Dragons despite them not playing last weekend. So coming up next, we have an exclusive interview with Dragons winger Jared Rosser. So firstly, Jared, with everything that's going on and the coronavirus outbreak at the Dragons, how are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Um, sort of deja vu from when we first went into lockdown. But um, yeah, it's been a, a week now, so it's um, taking its toll, but hopefully not too long now to go. Uh, the Dragons are one from four so far this season. Uh, what, what's your assessment so far? 
Um, I haven't really been involved that much this season, to be honest, but um, mooding camp is still good. Like, boys um, understand what we need to work on, really, to, um, well, get, more, get some more wins, sort of thing, like. But, um, yeah, it was, well, bit, the boys are gutted, really, that obviously we got two games now. We had one game at home, but um, sort of just prolonging us to get on a bit of a roll of um, games, sort of thing. You mentioned just then that you haven't been involved too much this year. Do you wish you were involved more and do you think you're deserving of a starting spot? Yeah, it's a tough one, it is. Um, I um, probably haven't had a run of games for a while now. I had a um, sort of my first serious injury last year. Um, well, it was the last week of pre-season last season, um, which put me out for the majority of the season. And then um, I started to have a sort of run of games then, which I was enjoying, enjoying my rugby. Um, and then obviously uh, COVID-19 came and the season was pretty much got dust and it was gone. So, um, yeah, um, I had another little niggle at the beginning of this, uh, beginning of this season. So put me out of training for a while. Um, but yeah, I'm just looking forward to trying to get a run of games, to be honest. Um, and obviously then with this now again, now it, it means that it's prolonged again. So looking at your season so far with the Dragons, you've been uh, with them since 2017. You made your day uh, against Leinster. Um, what's been the main thing you've learned so far? Um, there's been loads of things, to be honest. My first season, I sort of um, was lucky enough to get a load of games because there was injuries at the Dragons, which I would imagine a lot of people who get their first load of games is is usually down to uh, down to a couple of injuries. But um, yeah, so my first season, I was lucky to get like 25 games in my first season, I think I played. So that was, well, a massive learning experience going from playing sevens, playing for Evervale, to having basically a full season in professional rugby. Um, but um, learning things, majority of things just come from players, to be honest. I was lucky to be involved with um, quite a lot of um, experienced players that you... Um, can get talking to and um, and picking up things off them sort of thing. I um I said in your introduction you played for Wales and another learning experience you'll have picked up was playing sevens for Wales. How good was that playing in the likes of places like San Francisco? Yeah, that was class. Um, literally mental experience. Um, just well, I was playing for Everville at the time. And um, Nick Wakeley got involved, uh, got in touch with me and asked whether, sorry, the dog's barking at the top of the garden. Um, yeah, got in touch with me and asked whether I wanted to play any sevens for, um, I think it was like the samurai sort of thing. And I, I was um, I was, I was keen to try it. I never really played sevens before, apart from sort of, well, schoolboy tournaments. Um, and then, um, yeah, Garth Williams got in touch there and asked me whether I wanted to go training for the, um, for the Wales sevens teams. And I, I, well, I jumped to the offer really. Um, Great bunch of boys, and um, obviously traveling, uh, traveling the world and playing sevens in the bag gig. Like, yeah, plenty of players play both sevens and fifteens. So, can you give us sort of an idea what the crossover is like? Um, I think, well, especially for someone in my position um, at the time, I was playing for Eberville, and um, obviously, you could go off pretty much a full game of fifteens in the, the winter months uh, playing for Eberville and not touch the ball, sort of thing. Like, um, so to go from me being a winger and then going into the world sounds program and playing um on the world stage against some of the best finishers in the world with loads of space and getting multiple touches a game um it was great for my development like 
Yeah, you haven't been involved for a while now, but um, the team's been scrapped because of COVID-19. But is it something you want to get back involved with and you'd be keen to participate in? Um, I think, I, well, I've never seen never, obviously, but um, I think it is a different game to 15. So um, for me personally, I'd rather stick with 15s now, just so I can, like I said before, try and get a run of games because obviously going from... Um, 15s back into the sevens is just sort of well prolonging that run of games I'm looking forward to be honest and so overall uh, so far in your career um, do you have a special moment uh, sort of a highlight uh, at hat-trick against Zebra maybe or something else yeah it would have been um, to get the hat-trick in that Zebra game that was definitely one of them um, probably Judgment Day when we beat the Scarlets, I was probably up there with one of the top ones as well. Um, yeah, they were probably the two for me. Yeah. So, um, as a player, what inspires you? What motivates you to be the best you can be? Is it a family member? Is it an idol you want to emulate? What makes you tick? What makes you tick? Um, yeah, it was. I suppose family's one of them. It's like obviously. Um, parents have given up a lot over the years to sort of take me places, training and stuff like that. So I think when you go out there and you play well um, or you sort of have any achievements, it means a lot to your parents. That obviously, the, the things that they give up a couple of years ago are paying off now. That's one of them. Um, I think a lot of people who obviously who, who play in professional rugby are just competitive in themselves, whether, they, whether they're, I don't know, doing anything playing Monopoly or whatever, they've got that sort of competitive edge. So um, to go out there and give it your best shot, basically, and perform at the best so you can win is, I'd imagine, the underlying sort of factor in a lot of professional players' minds. So looking forward to the next five or ten years, what are, what are your main aims going to be? Um, potential Wales call-up, moving to a different club? Um, yeah, obviously the... Main goal is to get a uh, Wales call up. That'd be well amazing, like. But um, yeah, yeah, sort of more so in the short term. I'm just enjoying my rugby now, and um, I'm happy at the Dragons. And um, like, like I said, hopefully just get a, a run of games and continue playing there and add my bit to the team. And um, once the team starts progressing again, now I think it's going to be a really place, good place. So we've come out of a second isolation period as a country. And then during the first isolation period, you took on a big cycling challenge. You got anything like that coming up again? <laughs> um, no, I don't think I'll do anything like that. Well, me and the boys will do anything like that ever again, to be honest. <laughs> um, yeah, that was killer. Um, no, we haven't got anything like that lined up at, at the moment. Um, well, like obviously, apart from this sort of two weeks that the Dragons are off, we would be playing, so it'd be tough to get anything like that involved. Uh, the boys are sore for a couple of weeks after that, but... Um, yeah, and, and just with with the dragons now and um, the next sort of couple of weeks, have you got any um, sort of answers as to what exactly is happening? Like, are you definitely playing in two weeks, or is, or is it just you take it every day? Yeah, literally, it's changing all the time. Um, um, last thing I know is basically that we we were off for two weeks. Um, that's all we've been told so far, but. Um, yeah, they're working hard to sort of deal around it. But yeah, us players don't really know anything at the moment. As you said earlier in the podcast, you haven't been involved too much in the Dragons. I haven't had a great start to the season. 
what do you think you can get out of the season as a club and as a personal player? Oh, I think there's loads we can get out of, um, especially as a club for the season. Like this um, really exciting time that we're um, obviously playing um, against the best teams in Europe now as well. Um, those games are coming along um, not too far away. That, that, that's, that's a massive um, um, factor for the season for the for the boys to, to go out and play against, obviously, like I said, the best teams in Europe. And um, you take a lot of learnings from those games. We did last year as well. Um, but um, yeah, that's like a really exciting point for the boys. Um, and then me personally, um, one of my little goals at the moment is I'm one game off my 50th game, which is um, a nice bit for me. So I'm um, just going to sort of chase our 50th game. And then, um, like I said, just try and go as many games as I can through the season and um, just hopefully put my sort of mark on the game. That's all we've got time for today. This weekend, Wales face Georgia in the Autumn Nations Cup. In the Pro 14, the Ospreys play Benetton, Cardiff come up against champions Leinster and Ulster play the Scarlets. All games are being played on Sunday and for obvious reasons, the Dragons are not in action. So, thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed this slightly adapted review style of the podcast. We look forward to discussing more next week. Goodbye. <laughs>